Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. A safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 141 on showing up for others in grief with Elisa Forneray. Elisa and I, in this episode, talk about why it's okay and critical to take pause, the importance of self-care and inquiry over pushing through our feelings, the empathy and community of the Dead Moms Club, and... Again, honing our capacity for showing up for others in grief. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, grief in this episode. Grief is um, the thing that Elisa talks about a lot. She writes a lot about uh, beautifully uh, on her website, elisafornere.com. That's A-L-I-C-A-F-O-R-N-E-R-E-T.com. And uh, she's wonderful. We had a really lovely conversation. I can't wait for you to check it out. Uh, Before we get to the episode, though, I wanted to share some updates and uh, share some reminders, Uh, one of which is, so I've been in, I've been doing EMDR, as you all know, and one of the things that I was thinking about in the last EMDR session was in regards to accepting praise when people praise me or say, hey, Yumi Empathy is wonderful. I get so much out of it. Or like, you're doing such a great job. You know, all these things that I feel like I should take. So one of the questions that came out of that thought experiment was like, what would it look like if I accepted that praise? What if it looked like, what would it look like if I really took that on as truth, right? Because it's not fair of me or, you know, it's it's maybe uh, very limited-minded of me to not believe people, right? We need to believe people. So, if people are saying, hey, you're doing a great job, Known. I really get a lot out of this or whatever. And this, again, this is not me sort of hooting my own torn hooting my own torn, tooting my own horn. I can't even speak. <laughs> See, I'll get to that in, spe- in a second uh, in regards to can't speaking. But the point is, I need to take that on just like you need to take that on because you're wonderful and you're great. And you're listening to this podcast because you want to maybe feel a little less alone or you want to maybe find a little guidance or just, you know, get a little empathy, find a little healing, whatever, you know, just be less alone in the world. And you are not alone. You know, you have this podcast, you have me, you have these guests uh, pouring out their hearts. Um, So take that on because uh, you deserve it. And I deserve it, for goodness sake. 
Uh, in regards to not speaking well, as I just did, as I showed you very clearly, um, and Jessica is laughing in the corner over here. Um, <laughs> I, I've been having some weird, uh, like brain fog lately and also mixing up words and trouble finding words and kind of slurring at times, which has been very disconcerting. I saw a neurologist uh, just earlier this week and am going to do a neuropsychological test, which sounds daunting because it is going to be daunting probably. I don't do well in tests. I My mind goes back to school and panic sets in and sweat and I never did well in tests in school. So hopefully they're mindful of that, uh, my specific anxiety around test taking, but I just want to get to the get to the bottom of it because any anytime something makes you feel like you're not yourself, it's uh, it's disorienting, and I don't like it. I don't like it. So um, I'm going to explore it. I want answers. Answers are important. So that's where I'm at with that. Uh, I wanted to remind you to please, if you haven't left a review for You Me Empathy and Apple Podcasts, please do that. It is a free way to support me and the work that I'm doing. I would really appreciate it. If you enjoy this show, please leave a review. It takes a couple of minutes. Other ways to support the show, uh, you can just go to feelyhuman.co slash support. That's feelyhuman.co slash support. There's financial ways. There's non-financial ways to support me and this podcast and the work I'm doing with Feely Human. And hey, if you haven't signed up for my free empathy workshop called Feely Human 101, do that. It's great. I love it. And I hope you love it too. Thank you for being here. Um, What else did I want to say? I think that's probably it. I hope you're staying safe. Remember that right now is a time of uh, collective grief in a lot of ways. It's a, a time of collective anxiety and frustration and trauma. And just know that you're not alone and that you have safe spaces like this one to feel a little less alone and feel a little bit more supported And remember to keep leading with your heart, keep exercising that empathy muscle, takes practice, keep exercising that anti-racism muscle, it takes practice, all of it. Um, And some days you're going to struggle and that's okay, all right? It's It's not about crushing every day. It's not about crushing, period. Let's just remove that phrase from our lexicon, period, okay? No crushing, just living, just being a feely human, leading with your heart, doing your gosh darn, gosh darn darndest, and uh, showing up for others. And speaking of showing up for others, let's get into this episode, episode 141 on showing up for others in grief with Elisa Fornare. Yeah. 
Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we, we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm here with a fellow safe space creator, writer, and grief explorer and guide, Alisa Forneray. Hello, Alisa. Hi, Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. And um, thank you for helping me uh, pronounce your name correctly. I, there was a, a moment of pause there because I, I almost lost it in my noggin, but I, I pulled it back. Oh, you did great. <laughs> thank you. I really needed yeah. that validation. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. I, I, I love what you're doing in the world of uh, grief and processing grief. And, and certainly grief is uh, a present um, topic right now because we're recording in the time of uh, certainly a pandemic. That's, that's one aspect of things. And there's, there's many other things that we're all sort of grieving. And uh, so I'm, I'm just grateful you're here, grateful uh, for you to kind of lend a voice to this show. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here and I feel very privileged to be doing the work that I'm doing. Awesome. Well, before we get into your story, Elisa, uh, we always kick off the show with an emotional check-in. How, how are you feeling? How has your week been? Yeah, I um, in exercising some vulnerability. I definitely have had a challenging week, a challenging couple of weeks. So my energy been kind of on a roller coaster lately. Um, today, I feel, I feel okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. What for is asking. what is helping with the? You know, maybe you're on the sort of flat part of the roller coaster. What is helping with that? Um, acknowledging it and accepting it and letting myself be on that flat part of the roller coaster for a little bit. Mm. Uh, mm. I think sometimes, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a really, really challenging time. And I was like, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. This feels so terrible. And now I'm just like, I'm just going to ride it. I'm just going <laughs> to let myself be here. It's what my body needs. It's what my brain needs. So acknowledging it and just letting myself sit with it is helping. Uh so good to hear that. I, I find that that is a beautiful and crucial lesson in kind of all human experience is this moment where we uh, allow ourselves to just be and sit and have patience with whatever's going on because, um, you know, uh, feelings are sometimes scary and feelings sometimes lead us astray or they're not maybe maybe the maybe they're not the truth sayers that we want them to be uh but there is so much wisdom and healing i think um as you're pointing out in just 
just being, just sitting there and allowing them to be, because you doing that today, you know, it might, it may feel a little bit different maybe tomorrow, you know, maybe you'll have some answers. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, sitting with it also just means that I can allow myself to not have to feel a hundred percent on and happy and great and Mm. performing all the time. (laughs) And and that's really like no one long-term I don't think can perform at a hundred percent go, go, go. So we all need rest. We all need space. And uh, yeah, I think that, like you said, that space allows us to wake up tomorrow, hopefully with having had some, some space really to reflect and think about why I'm here and acknowledge why I'm here and be okay with why I'm here. So, yeah. I love that. So I, you know, this is this feeling of like, um, I, I so relate to this feeling of like recognizing that, um, we don't need to be hundred percent. We don't need to be on all the time. We don't need to like have that switch turned on all the time to, I don't know, put whatever we need to put out into the world because that's what we feel like the world demands of us. And it's such a great self-care, um, action that you're taking and and recognizing that. I I think that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It takes some practice, but it, it does wonders. So yeah. Yeah. How has that, um, that practice helped you in your grief and your personal grief? I think that I probably learned that practice because of my grieving process. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've hit some walls in the last couple of years and I have found myself trying to perform and push through and grief is really one of the first things, you know, in my life where I've said, it is not worth pushing through at the expense of caring for myself. And it is not worth pushing through um, at the expense of not addressing my grief, which is incredibly important to me. And I think that, uh, yeah, my, my, my personal grieving experience has definitely taught me that it's really okay and very important and critical to pause sometimes. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I want to point out that, that term pushing through, I think that's such a, an important takeaway here. Um, because I, there is, I, I, I would say that, that like, would you say that like, I, I mean, maybe in my own personal life, I feel like the pushing through often, uh, gets me into trouble because it, it's often, you know, maybe fueled by some of the stuff we're talking about, like external validation or external, like, this is what I'm supposed to be to these people or a maybe intentional or not so intentional um, hiding of like feelings or, or wanting to compartmentalize when I, I shouldn't push through and I need to just, I need to just be as, as we said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, like for me, it's just truly unhealthy, like physically, mentally. I, mm. I just know that um, 
it is so detrimental personally mm. to ignore um, my limits and my boundaries that I just got to accept them where they are and where they lie in these moments and say they're here for a reason, you know? Yeah. 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 No, that's well said. So you've had, uh, you've been open about um, being in the, as you put it, dead moms club, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not in the dead moms club. Um, I, but I love that. I, I, I think that's such a, a beautiful ownership of loss and, and recognizing that. And I think it's, it's a, it's a powerful thing to do, especially when you're in the space of helping others through grief. Uh, I'm wondering, can you walk me through your sort of mental health space, your life prior to losing your mom? Do you have memories there that you want to share? Um, yeah, like in terms of my commitment to my mental health or practices that I had. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I, I guess I wasn't very clear. Uh, What I, what I want to understand is, you know, we as humans, as, as you so wonderfully write about and, and teach about and help others through is like, we learn through suffering. You know, there's a lot of learning through suffering and obviously death is one of them. Grief is a process of, of learning and, and can be uh, a process of introspection and, and just self-knowing and self-actualization and all that stuff. I'm wondering prior to that experience, prior to this loss, this deep uh, traumatic loss that you experienced with the loss of your mother, yeah, mental health wise, where you where were you at? And then how did that sort of change in those sort of initial experiences and losing your mom? Mm, yeah, I mean, so for me, I in my younger years, um, had experience going to mental health professionals for, um, support advice, um, emergency services, et cetera. And I think that in terms of like formal therapy, that felt very normal and natural to me because of Mm. some, um, you know, mental health issues that I had, questions that I had, things that I was going through physically and mentally that I sought support for. Um, And I think at the same time, I was not really in like using any services or anything when my mom died. Um, I was thinking a lot about death in general and probably for the year that I was doing that death focused work before she died, probably should have been going to some therapy and dealing with my mental health being just in really like entrenched in such a deeply uh, like triggering and also just intimate and wildly new space for me. Um, but yeah, I was really, I was exploring that, but wasn't necessarily tending to to myself. And when, when she died, um, I think that the importance of a third party and an outlet to help me process what was going on in my mind became really important. I think for me before it was very reactionary, um, when I was seeking mental health support. And I think I was aware of how, that anything in life can impact our mental health and our emotional well-being. 
Um, but seeking services for me really was was quite reactionary versus just mm-hmm. like general upkeep and having someone um, that's like sort of proactive and not reactive or helping on a day-to-day v- basis or week-to-week basis um, versus sort of, you know, blips when things were feeling particularly hard. Mm. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think we do do that when it comes to our mental health. It's um, And obviously there are uh, tremendous hurdles for many people who, um, like I'm certainly in a privileged place where I can go to mm, semi-regular therapy once a month or something like that. Uh, not a lot of people can, right? And I think it's that's important to, to, to call out. Um, but I, I do think we have this tendency to look at uh, specifically mental health as this thing like we either don't look at it or when we do it's like oh if we're in crisis then we'll then we'll uh, we'll check it out then we'll like go to therapy or then we'll like address this thing but until then um, you know let's uh, let's not focus on it so much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and how old were you when you lost your mother I was 27 hmm uh, tell me a little bit about your relationship with your mom. Mm, it was complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, um, I had a lot of ups and downs and, um, periods of really comfortable, beautiful relationship with her and other periods where it was incredibly strained. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, a lot of, especially after she died, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing and recognizing and, and trying to honor the fact that a lot of my creativity came from my mom. A lot of my passion um, was inspired by her. She was an artist and a nurse. And I think really modeled appreciating creative endeavors um, alongside like, you know, I guess, sort of traditional career paths. And, and I'm really grateful for that. And yeah, at the same time, like we had, we had some challenges. Yeah. Yeah. As, as I think all kids, kids do, right. It's, (laughs) um, you know, I'm not a parent myself, but I, I like in my own, you know, just to be open, like um, in my own sort of mental health journey, there, there has been times where, I've needed to kind of uh, apply uh, compassion toward my parents who, who weren't great parents. Uh, and there was, you know, abuses and violence and things like that. And, you know, I, and I'd imagine a, you know, obviously losing one of them, there, that, that sort of, perspective seeking is, is just thrown into hyperdrive because we, we want to make sense of it. We want to, we want to be fair, you know, and, and it's also like the, you know, you don't want to, what's the saying? You don't want to like, uh, you know, once someone's gone, you don't want to talk bad about them. Right. Like, and, and, and what's the point of that even, right. So it's like this perspective, changing perspective seeking for our own sort of grace and peace in in such a big big loss yeah i was just having this conversation with someone yesterday about um how to deal with anger and grief towards someone that you've Mm. lost 
And personally, like I would never talk, like speak ill of my mom for no reason, but there are things that my mom did that had a hugely negative and detrimental like impact on my life. And I think that there's a line and and maybe a balance of not wanting to speak negatively about people who you've lost because like, what's the point? And, and to me, the flip side of it is like, the point is to heal and the point is to take Mm. um, guilt off of myself. And the point is to work through issues that were a reality at one point and that will have very long-term effects for me as I continue to live the rest of my life. And I think that, you know, I feel the same way about being really angry with my mom um, as I do about being really joyful when I think of my mom, uh, as I do when I think about being able to laugh at my mom and not like funny memories of her, but like laugh at her and things that she did (laughs) um, that seem absolutely absurd and to be able to make jokes. I think that our our relationship when people are alive are complex and that doesn't mean that they're not going to be complex after they die. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that insight. That's really tremendous. Cause I, you're right. It's like, um, when we, and I guess we do this a lot as people, now that I think about it, when people die, it's like this, we're idolizing them and all of a sudden there, there are these heroes and, I, I, I get that emotionally. I understand that. But um, the other side of it, the flip side, like you said, there may be some denying of our own real valid emotional experiences, mm-hmm. which we do need to look at in order to heal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if I ignore the painful things that I experienced with my mom when she was alive, then I am not honoring myself and my own life and my own emotions and my own experience. And I'm not looking at her as the full person that she was Mm -hmm. Um, both positive and beautiful and amazing pieces of her alongside the ones that were also challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think to the the thing that's really the thing that's hard about it for me is not oh should I be angry can I be angry am I allowed to be angry what's really frustrating for me is that I don't have time with her now to examine why those things happened the way that they did or why she acted or why I responded or why something was going on in her life that led to things turning out the way that they did between us. That's what frustrates me. You know, I'm like, I can be angry, but I'm like, oh, but why did that happen in the first place? I don't get the the context. Right. I don't get, I didn't, I didn't have a relationship with my mom where like, you know, we stay up every night talking about her childhood and um, all of the trauma that she would have experienced that led to certain things happening between us as in a mother daughter relationship. And I think that that's what's more, um, like I said, frustrating and complex for me. Yeah. Uh, it's fucked up and it's, it's, <laughs> so, it's so sad. And I, I, you know, I should have said this at the top. I'm, I'm deeply sorry for your loss. Like no mm-hmm. one should have to lose a parent. 
Yeah. Thank you. You know, it's, uh, it's, I, you know, I'm, um, I'm a weirdo in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. I, I think one of the ways I am maybe a weirdo is I have this sometimes, uh, fatalistic kind of chaotic lens of the universe. And I think sometimes that's just my own sort of insecurity around control and things like that. But when I, when I hear about your story and people losing parents, it's just, I just like, it, it's deeply angry, angry-fying. And I, and, and, you know, I, and obviously you as someone who is the daughter of this loss, like just by tenfold, it's, it's just, it's, it's unfair and it's shitty and I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So is your, do you have a father in the picture? Yep. Yep. How, how has that been? How has, um, and I, I do want to go over, like, explore a little bit of like the early days of dealing with that loss, but how has, um, your relationship with your father has, have changed or how has it impacted that relationship? Yeah, it's, um, We've had a lot of experiences that we just never would have had, honestly, had my mom been around um, since she died. Like we've, you know, for different grief related things that I've done, we've traveled, like we've taken our first like trip alone together to New York City. And Mm. um, I've actually moved back in with him right now because of a bunch of stuff going on in my life um, with visas and stuff. But I'm, I'm living with him right now and you know, I'm, I love my dad so much and I'm so grateful for the support. And I think that in a lot of ways, like he's gotten to see a new side of me and my work and my career since my mom died. Um, and I got into this space. So it's been, it's been interesting. And also just like navigating alongside each other, losing my mom. I'm back in the house where I grew up with all of her stuff and my dad um, which is bizarre and complicated, but I'm really grateful for him inviting me back into our home. And I think, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. And has your, do you have a sense of like how your work and your own sort of, you know, grief guiding and, and sort of the website you created and all this and wonderful support you provide others, how that has maybe impacted your father or helped your father through his own grief? Um, I know that it's helped us have bigger conversations. Like he's attended my events, like Mother's Day Mm. weekend. He was like popping in and out of everything that I hosted over Mother's Day weekend. Um, I think that it's made it possible for us to talk about my mom a little more. And I think it's also made it possible for us to open up about the things that are challenging. Like he's dating right now and Mm. like that, um, I think if we were avoiding grief and my mom and all of that, it'd be really hard to navigate those things together. And, you know, I know when I launched the website um, a little while after I'd been writing for a while, he like, he called me one night and he's like, I just found your blog and I read everything in one sitting. And I was like, oh my okay. God. and I, oh. it was really, it was really cute and it was really sweet. And I think that um, my dad is a very, very thoughtful very like 
kind person that's willing to talk about things that are intimate. And so um, I think that me putting myself out there has allowed us to sort of um, look inward and, and apply that to our relationship. Mm, that's so beautiful. I, I kind of, I got a little teary eyed there for a second. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. So Elisa, will you talk uh, a little bit about, you know, those first sort of initial experiences, uh, what was going on in your noggin and, and your mental health, um, you know, shortly after uh, losing your mother? Yeah. Um, so for context, I was um, in the middle of moving from the United States over to Scotland when my mom died. Um, so the weekend of my sister's wedding, my mom fell and went into the hospital. She got out and like on a Sunday, I think she got out. And then I moved to Scotland on a Tuesday and so I was out of the country. Um, and the following weekend, my dad called me and he said, like, your mom, you know, she's back in the hospital, in the ICU, on a ventilator. And he always told me, because I, I travel and move a lot. I've, I've moved all over um, since leaving home uh, years ago. And he, he always said, like, your mom gets sick often when it's serious, when you need to come home, when we're in a point where it's like, you need to come because we're at the point where you need to say goodbye. I will let you know until then, like keep traveling, living your life, et cetera. And Mm. it was that weekend um, after I'd moved to Scotland when he called and he said like, this, this is the time that you need to come home. Um, This this is that moment. So I flew back, um, that weekend and she died the next week. And so those first couple of days were quite challenging. Um, my sister came down and and the three of us were here when she died. And, um, it was really bizarre because, you know, at that point, I guess it would have been by the time we had her funeral the following weekend, like two weeks earlier, my sister had gotten married and our entire family was in town for her wedding. And now they were all coming back for my mom's funeral Wow, And it was pretty challenging um, because my sister had also been on her honeymoon and all of that. Like it was just people and, and my mom's from Canada. So her family had already gone back to Canada. And yeah, it was just it was a whirlwind getting people back and seeing who could afford to come back and figure out who had time to come back. Um, so the first couple of days were really hard and I was pretty much in like planning mode. Um, I, I I knew that it was hard. I knew I was sad. I had the moments where I was like, this is so wild and surreal. Like how could this happen? And at the same time, like there were no plans for her funeral. So I sort of took over um, working with my family to plan her entire funeral um, and was sort of in like, planning uh execution mode yeah do you find that that is a common thing because i've heard that a few times like the loss and then obviously like the logistics of like not having a plan but like pouring yourself into planning seems like um 
an initial sort of makes sense sort of coping mechanism? Yeah, I mean, for for me and what other people I, I have said that I've heard is it gives you a sense of control. Like you've just mm-hmm. bought something, you had no control over it. Yeah. Um, you have no control over the future. You feel like your whole world's flipped upside down. What I can control is like what number of chairs we're going to get for the backyard for her memorial and that they show up on time and what food we're going to eat and how many people are going to come and how to get invitations out. Like you instantly can regain at least some sort of sense of control because for me in the days after where I didn't have anything to do because I'd been moving, like I didn't have a job. Um, Mm. I didn't have anything to plan. I was like sitting around watching Gilmore girls and drinking whiskey once the funeral was over. Um, And I think that in those immediate days after, like it really did give me an opportunity um, to take some control back and then also to do something useful. I think yeah. that's the other thing is that when someone dies, um, it can feel like so many things are pointless <laughs> and so many things that you had planned are out the window and, you know, yeah, sitting on the couch and watching TV and drinking, uh, whiskey felt useful for me in that moment because I needed a break to some extent. But before that, like I really just needed to feel like I was doing something that mattered. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense. And drinking whiskey and watching Gilmore girls is (laughs) that seems like just a wise decision, like across the board. Yeah. Felt great in the moment. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Well, um, so what, what happens next? You, you start planning for the funeral, the funeral happens, like what's, what's going on next? At at what point do you start kind of like, okay, I need to like process this. I need to like figure out what my life is. Um, I mean, I was processing it the whole time. I wrote a eulogy. Um, we had a lot of people show up, it meant a lot of conversations um, mm. with people that I don't spend a ton of time with. So it was like we were cramming all the memories and all the reflecting and all the 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 thinking and processing into a lot of those initial interactions that I had with people. Um, and then I think a lot of it came, you know, I stayed with my dad for a while. And then eventually I was just like, um, I had a reason to get back to Scotland and we just decided I was going to go. And I think that when I got back to Scotland, it was a, it was, <laughs> it was a pretty bizarre situation. Um, my husband it, at the time he was my boyfriend, but um, he, he's from Australia and we moved to Scotland together and his mom was actually coming to visit um, in Scotland. And so the reason that I left my dad to go back, uh, was to meet my partner's mom, which was so weird. Cause it was for the first time. Yeah. For the first time. Wow. Um, and it was, it was really, it was just so bizarre, but so beautiful because what ended up happening was like, I didn't have a job. She was there on vacation and my husband, he was working. So we spent a lot of time alone mm. together. Um, wow. 
just like weeks after my mom had died. And yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty wild. And I think that that was the moment where, you know, being in that situation, um, we, I, I processed with her. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's such a beautiful mirroring, um, that, that occurs. I'm so glad you had her in that moment in those couple of weeks. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. It was special. Do you, are you like, you know, prior to this experience, this loss, were you uh, the type of person who could easily be vulnerable and talk about hard things? I think I was the type of person who could talk about taboo things. Mm. I don't necessarily think that I was being vulnerable with personal parts of myself though. I see. Yeah. Makes sense. Like I, like I mentioned, I, but the year before my mom died, um, I was working on a project specifically focused on death um, in the abstract though. So we were looking at death in different cultures and death, um, how it's reflected in food and community and writing and music. So like I was all about getting into the weird stuff, um, but never, you know, in that project, did I specifically reflect on my own grief? And then about a month before we went to print on that project, after working on it for a year, that's when my mom died. Um, Mm. It really forced me, I think, to pivot because I was like, I need to do some work myself now. (laughs) Um, I need to look inward. And so we dedicated the project to my mom and writing, you know, the, the editor's note in that project was one of the first spaces where I I was really not just talking about something taboo, but talking about my relationship um, and being vulnerable with that that taboo topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know I, I certainly relate to a lot of the writing as processing feelings thing. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. such a wonderful tool for that. Um, at one point, like how many years were you writing before you started the website? How many years was I writing in general or writing about grief? Writing about grief. Oh, I I mean, I started that almost, uh, almost immediately. Mm. I'm trying to think because I, she died October, 2016, I moved and started producing products in 2017. So dead mom's club products um, Mm. in 2017. And I had been writing. So like, yeah, like not long after. Yeah. And when, when did the site start? That would have been early 2017. Okay. And so walk me through the site and like what, what your intention is with it and what the, imp- I mean, obviously the impetus, I, I, I get that, but like, what, what is your goal with it? Like ultimately? Yeah. I mean, um, part of it is for me, <laughs> uh, to have a space to write. It has to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, I think also for me, when my mom died, it was like, and I say this all the time, most of the resources that I were finding 
were like the doves and the rainbows and the recovery and the you'll be better one day and everything will be fine and there's stages and just like, point your feet in the direction of happiness yeah exactly exactly and i was like no i want to be angry i want to be jealous i want to be confused i want people to curse like i want to read stuff that feels raw and human um and i wasn't finding a voice that like reflected how i was talking about my loss and really working through grief and loss in a way that resonated with me. So I created it. Um, and I think really from there, it turned into an opportunity to reflect and muse and, and also take the learnings that I was having from my experience navigating grief and also the experience that I was having at that point, like later, um, interacting with like a lot of grief professionals and people that were in the space and building relationships and networking about end of life. And I was like, Oh, everyone should know about this. Everyone should talk about this. Everyone should like be aware of the fact that there's different ways to do this and people out here doing this work. So um, the goal really for me, as I continue to develop it is yeah, to have that space for me, but also to create a space where people can have like a different perspective, useful tools, different kinds of resources. Um, and that's why I put together the site and then the, the newsletters. Hmm. I love it. Um, how, how do you, where does empathy in your mind play a role in grief? Yeah. Um, I think when I think about it, it, it takes me to the, the dead moms club. Um, hmm. I think what's really interesting about, being around people and interacting with people and hearing stories from, stories from people who have experienced a similar loss is that they meet you sort of a couple steps ahead of where anyone else can meet you. And they can put themselves in your shoes because they've experienced what you have. And even if the loss is different technically, because it's a different person or you're a different race or you have different backgrounds, like all of our relationships and our losses are different. But there's this place where people can meet you where it's like they're not going to give you those like sad, pitying looks. Um, they're not going to ask you the questions that nobody should be asking right after someone dies because they've had those questions uncomfortably asked of themselves. And that's where I think that like empathy and being able to exercise empathy with people in grief is incredibly important if you can do it without having experienced that same loss yourself. And there's like, in my mind, I'm hoping that there are ways that people can learn how to and acknowledge that it's important to show up for people, um, even when you haven't experienced that loss by like learning how to interact with them in a way that shows that you care and that you're actively listening. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I, I So... I launched a little like business that hopefully will be a big business someday um, <laughs> called Feely Human just back in May. And I, I, I launched it with this free empathy workshop. And I, the way I think about empathy is it's a practice, right? It's a skill and it's not it, it but however, I say that it's practice and skill, but we sometimes as humans like to look at it as um, you know, we we grab it and then it's in our tool chest, but it's something that needs to be honed mm -hmm. for the reasons you're talking about, right? Because there's so much nuance in empathy um, and practice and skill. And it takes, like I, 
I, I like to think of it as this tool that, like, even though uh, I haven't experienced the loss of a mother and, and, and certainly can't fully understand that loss, um, I still know loss. I've experienced death in my life. I, I, I've experienced um, some of those feelings, right? And, and holding on to some of that, I think, is an important part of that connection piece when it comes to creating these communities, right? Is allowing others to be, and, and, and maybe I can't jump ahead, like you said, but I can still um, create that safe space of some understanding that allows them to, to, to grieve in the way that they need to grieve. Yeah. And I think too, in hearing what you're saying, like what I'm also hearing in a, a huge advocate of is like knowing and learning really or honing the capacity to show up for people, but knowing that you're going to have to show up for every person differently. And that mm, just because yeah. like you can interact with me having experienced my loss and show up in a way that's incredible for me where we can like, whatever, make jokes and laugh. And like, I can be vulnerable and cry, but then also show up for other people that aren't experiencing their grief the same way I am and support them adequately, but differently. Um, mm-hmm. And knowing that you can have the capacity to show up for everyone, but in different ways, I think is, is, is very key. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, that's essential. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's recognizing that we are all, uh, we have different needs. We have different wants, you know, we have different hearts and minds and, um, and yeah, that's, that's crucial. Uh, so mm-hmm. thank you for saying that. Yeah. Talk, talk to me a little bit about grief and, this goddamn pandemic that we're experiencing this grief. I mean, there is, I feel this collective grieving that's happening now. Like I, I'm a deeply sensitive person and I, and I feel it deeply uh, as this collective sort of grief that's stirring in our hearts. Can you talk to me a little bit about um, that for you personally and like how you have maybe in your community have talked about it for others? Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like there is a very deep sense of grief that so many people are feeling right now due to the pandemic. And it's not just grief as it relates to death, um, but it is grief as it relates to the loss of normalcy, the loss of jobs, the loss of family and friend contact. It's the loss of interaction it's the loss of work like being able to go into work like we have lost so much in such a short amount of time that has completely reframed the way that we have to get up in the morning move through the world and interact with people um and you know one of the things that that i think about and talk about a lot in in grief is this concept of having to recalibrate after someone dies so Mm. for example someone dies you sleep in bed next to them every single night. And every morning 
before they died, you'd roll over and you'd put your arm around them and you'd cuddle them and then you'd get up. And there's this period of time, right, where even after they die, every morning you're going to still keep rolling over, you still keep rolling over, and they're not there and they're not there. And your body and your brain and just all of your habits have to recalibrate to a world without that person in it from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And it is exhausting. And it's moments where like, for me, I think, oh shit, I was like in the newspaper, who wants to hear about this? My mom. And I go to pick up the phone and it's been years. And I I realize in that moment that my hand reaching for her was totally normal. And my brain wanting to call her was totally normal, but my, I have to recalibrate and realize yeah. she's be on the other end. And I think in terms of the pandemic, we are experiencing that in almost every part of our life, you know, normally I would wake up and I would have a routine before not, you know, for me, like I work from home, but in in other people's cases, like where you get up and you have your routine and you get ready and you do your thing. And then you physically leave your home to go somewhere else to do your job. That's out the window. We are leaving the experience of that routine at the same time. Like, you know, we're grieving the experience of being able to call someone and have a physical face-to-face interaction with them out the window, not an option. Um, so I think that on so many layers, all of that is compounding. Plus, we are watching people die every day. And it is in the news and it is front of mind and it is part of almost every... I have not... Obviously, it's impossible to go a day without talking about coronavirus right now. and. Right. On the flip side of that, like you are talking about death in the background of every conversation, death and illness and loss. So, I mean, it is at the heart of all of our experiences in this moment. Yeah. 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 No, that's so well said. I just, you know, I just yesterday I found out a very dear friend's uh, kid and our, our neighbors who uh, we've been sort of quarantining with their kid uh, tested positive, Mm. uh, which is scary. And so I went out yesterday and and got a test for the first time. And I should know in maybe three days if I have it or not, but I, you know, I I was thinking like next week I plan on going backpacking up, up Northern California. And I was so much looking forward to it months, months planning. And I, I tell my wife, Jessica, I say, this may not happen. And she's like, yeah, planning in the time of pandemic is just not a thing. It, mm-hmm. We just really can't do it because it's like we're setting ourselves up for um, a, a, a grieving process in, in, in that already sort of huge collective uh, grieving process that we're all experiencing that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> how are you how are you Elisa? How are you grounding yourself during this time? How how are like you know, we're talking about this momentous time where we're experiencing all of these losses because of all of these changes because we're recalibrating everything. How are you personally finding yourself grounding yourself, you know, um, finding that that center? To be honest, I'm, I'm struggling right now. Um, I am trying to do a lot of the things that normally in other circumstances would help me. Um, but I, it's some days it really just isn't enough or it isn't, it isn't the right thing. Um, 
I am in a position right now. I moved internationally. I'm away from my husband at this moment. I'm living back with my dad. I'm in a different bed every night. Uh, my job, normally I'd work from home and I'm working in a totally new space. Everything has changed for me and being grounded feels almost impossible right now. So really what I'm doing is I'm trying to do the things that normally would work and I'm letting them not work sometimes and just being okay with that. Like I I really, unfortunately don't have an answer because things are really tough for me right now. Um, No, it's okay. You don't have to have an answer. Yeah, But it's, it's good to think about the fact that like, I'm trying stuff, you know, I'm normally working out. I, I do like strength training that feels probably the closest to being grounded where I am finding control over my body and mm. strength in my body and just being in my body and aware of my body in those hours that I'm doing it um, every week. And that's uh, probably the closest that I'm feeling to settled in place in those moments. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you on that. Um, I am someone who holds uh, a ton of my emotion uh, and feelings and struggle in my body, in my physical body. I hold it in my stomach, you know, I start, or my chest, you know, I start having, you know, chest pains or something. I know anxiety is happening. If I, my stomach hurts, I know that like, maybe my depression is getting bad and I need to I need to move or I need to feel strong in my body. Yeah. Those are, those are huge, huge steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I know you're, uh, you have a heart out at the top of the hour. So let's, uh, let's start wrapping it up. Um, I want to honor your time, of course. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Um, we do always wrap up the show talking about empathy heroes, Alisa. So, someone in our lives who is deeply empathetic, uh, someone, it could be someone we know, it could be even a character from a story we love. Um, I will get, uh, I will share my empathy here first, just to give you a moment to think about yours. Uh, my empathy here this week is my friend, uh, Yishan Lai. Uh, Yishan is a writer and an editor, and she just published a, uh, a little essay series uh, called Pinups uh, through homebound publications and it's I just finished it this week and it's it's about her relationship it deals with race and it deals with um uh being a woman uh in the sort of outdoors and her sort of love of the outdoors and her love of sport you know outdoor sports specifically and it's just such a um beautiful encapsulation of like what it means to really kind of love the outdoors. And I am someone who loves the outdoors. So it's, it's a book that makes, uh, that made me want to wander a bit more. And I, I do hope mm-hmm. I'm negative on that COVID test so I can go wandering very soon, uh, into the, into the, into the wild pale blue dot. Um, so Yishan Lai, uh, my dear friend and writer, um, her new books, pinups, and she's my empathy hero this week. Lovely. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, for me, it'd also be a, a very close friend. Um, his name is Elias. He is a huge champion for me and also just the person who always shows up to actively listen um, mm. and actively listen 
in the moments when I need to work through something. And um, he is a person that models, I think, both just being there and also actively being there, which is really huge for me, not just being like the shoulder to lean on, but the shoulder that you like lean on and that props you up and helps you work through it so that you can get back up again at the end of the day. (laughs) Um, He's, he's pretty incredible and I'm very grateful to have him in my life in the harder moments. And even in the good moments where um, he recognizes when I really do just need to celebrate and celebrate in a really positive, beautiful way. Mm. I love that. He sounds, Elias is his name? Elias, yeah. Yeah. Ah, we, we need friends like that in our lives. Again. Yeah. I love that. Well, Elisa, where can the Feely Humans out there um, learn more about the work you're doing, connect with you, all of that lovely stuff? Yep. So my website is www.elisafornere.com. And Instagram is at alisa.fornaray. Um, on Facebook, I am grief is hard AF. <laughs> and if you find me in any of those places, it is well connected to all of the other things that I'm doing and places that you can, can get in touch with me. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Elisa, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast, Yumi Empathy. I Really appreciate the work you're doing in the world, and I was grateful to connect. Thank you. I appreciate the space to speak with you and show up today. Absolutely. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Empathy.